Good morning, everyone. The reading this morning is taken from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, beginning at the first verse. This can be found on page 1201 of the Church Bible in the pews in front of you. Hebrews, chapter 1. God's final word, his son. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Shall we pray? Father God, just uh, thank you for this uh, passage. Thank you for the amazing truths in it. And we just pray that you will uh, uh, help us now to understand more of the Lord Jesus, what he has done for us. May that be a great blessing to us as we look at this passage together now. Amen. Amen. Uh, well, if you've got your Bibles open, uh, you will know it's on page 1201. It's a page that doesn't have a number on it, actually, but there we are. Page 1201 in the church Bibles, if you're uh, using them. Now, here's a statement you won't often hear uh, in church, and that is that Hanu is God. If you live in Oxford, you would know that very well, because that's the bit of graffiti uh, on uh, Donington Bridge, uh, just uh, through Oxford. Uh, you might just about make it, up, uh, make it there in the middle. But Hanu is God. Now, I don't know who Hanu is. Uh, I've never met him. Um, but he's obviously pretty wonderful if someone dangles over a bridge over a river uh, to write that. But the bad news for Hanu is it's not true. Hanu is not God. That job's already been taken, uh, and it's Jesus who is God. That is the big message of the book of Hebrews, and we're just looking at these few verses today. But that's the writer's big point, that there was no one greater in heaven or on earth than the Lord Jesus. That's the message of the book of Hebrews. It struck me too, actually, that that word Hebrews actually sounds a bit racist nowadays uh, in the culture we're in. But really, it's just a letter to Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians, sort of generically. So what it says uh, applies as much to the folk who read it then uh, as it does now. So we can take these great truths written in the book of Hebrews and learn that Jesus is God. And to back that up, the writer sort of invites us to do two things. He invites us to to look at Jesus and to listen to God. Look at Jesus and listen to God. And these wonderful opening lines, if they come up, if they come up. Can you flip the PowerPoint forward one? Or not? Yeah, there we go. 
in the past, God spoke through the prophets. But now, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. That is, of course, Jesus. And so these next few verses invite us to look at the person of the Lord Jesus. And there are going to be two big themes that we're going to see. They're going to tell us what, who Jesus is, about his person, and they're going to tell us about what he does. And that's where we're going to start thinking about what does Jesus actually do? Well, look at verse 3. It says, Jesus sustains all things. That means Jesus is keeping the entire universe going. And he's got the qualifications to do that because verse 2 says he created everything and that he's heir to everything. So the passage is saying, not only did Jesus create it, but he'll be there at the end, right the way through. Jesus is there sustaining the universe. And if he's sustaining the universe, it means he's sustaining everything. From, from the sort of biggest supernova down to the, the tiniest flower uh, and down to you and me. Jesus sustains all things. So Jesus was there when the morning stars sung together as the foundations of the earth were laid. As it says in Job. This is a a Sussex sunset. Uh, You recognize a view. And when we see those, don't you sometimes think, I wonder if Jesus is trying to remind us of something. Just of his greatness when you see these spectacular sunsets over the uh, over the sea Jesus sustains all things even the tiny things like the like the sparrows and the daisies Jesus talks about sparrows CS Lewis talks about daisies he says have you ever clocked the fact that Jesus is a daisy manufacturer all through the year all through the summer he's making daisies Every daisy is different. Millions and millions and millions of daisies. I would get bored stiff, but God doesn't. The Lord delights in his creation, and he's continually at work. That is what Jesus is doing. Jesus sustains all things. And that means he's sustaining you and me. If he can sustain the the, the sunsets and if he can sustain the daisies, then he can look after us. And even in bad times, and many of us are going through all sorts of difficulties at the moment, Jesus sustains all things. There's a wonderful uh, promise, Isaiah 46, verse 4. Even to your old age and your grey hairs, I am he, says the Lord, I am he who will sustain you. Fantastic encouragement, isn't it? Jesus is sustaining all things. But the other thing Jesus does, that Judas already touched on, is Judas, Jesus, purifies. That's the second thing that Jesus does. He he kind of cleans us up. He makes us fit to meet God. 
I, I don't know how seriously you, you are. Take your shopping, whether you check sell-by dates and use-by dates. Um, I always ignore them. Uh, and if it looks all right, we eat it. Um, now, sometimes that can prove to be a mistake, uh, and the, uh, the penalties are, are interesting. Um, but, you know, the stuff looks all right, the food looks all right, but actually there's a penalty underlying it. It's rotten. And that's what the scripture says is true for our condition too. Our selves, our inner selves, are well past their use-by date. In fact, God says in the Old Testament they are filthy because of our sin. And that's the word that the letter uses in Hebrews in verse 3, doesn't it? It talks about our sin. That is our attitude to God is what pollutes us that means we deserve the penalty. And the penalty is death. But of course, as we look to Easter, we know Jesus paid that penalty for us. So Jesus is making us pure. We are purified by his death. He's taken our sinful stuff and he's buried it. And it's been done once and for all. And that's why... Verse 3 says, Jesus provided purification. Not provides it, but provided it. It's in the past. It's been dealt with. There is nothing more for us to do or worry about once we put our trust in the Lord Jesus. We don't need to worry about our eternal futures. We don't need to worry what will happen if COVID gets us. Because Jesus has provided purification. We have been made fit to meet God face to face. And that's also why, can you see verse 3, it says Jesus sat down. Now it's always a relief when the preacher sits down, isn't it? You think, oh that bit's over, can move on. You know he's finished. Great disappointment if I was to leap up and start again. Sitting down is a sign that the job's done. Nothing more to do. And that, that's what's happening here. When it says Jesus sat down, it means he's finished what he came to do. We are purified and we are made right with God. But that sitting down also leads on a little bit to talk about well, who Jesus is. What he does sustains us. He's purified us. But that sitting down in a, is a sign of who Jesus is. Verse 3 says, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. He sat down at God's right hand, is what he's saying. Now, I didn't really notice this until I was looking at this passage, but there's a previous instance of someone sitting down at the king's right hand, and that is Bathsheba. I had never noticed that before. Uh, When King Solomon becomes king, Bathsheba, he invites his mother to sit at his right-hand side. It's quite scandalous. It's giving his mother almost co-regency. She is on the throne with him. And that's the same picture here, that Jesus is regent with God. It was a sign of equal power and might. 
It's reinforcing the message. Jesus is God. And that is why, as you go into these verses, you get these, these slightly strange descriptions, don't you? Jesus being the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of him. It's sort of slightly, slightly unusual uh, language. But, you know, that word representation in the Greek is the word character. So, quick bit of general knowledge for you. Can you tell me what Commander Shepherd and Sarah Kerrigan have in common? Does anybody even recognize those names? That's very worrying. Okay. Uh, let me add in two more names in. Add in Lara Croft and Super Mario. They are, of course, video gaming characters, all of them. Uh, and uh, I, I never got much beyond um, Super Mario, but there we are. Uh, all the others, uh, video gaming characters. And those of us or you or them who play video games, when you, when you load up, you in, inhabit that character, don't you? During that mission, you are that character. And that is the sort of idea between, behind verse 3. Jesus inhabits the very character of God. He is God. They are indistinguishable. Jesus and God are one. William Barclay uh, comments on this. It's, It's a great quote. Commenting on this passage, he says, In Jesus Christ, let's get rid of Super Mario. In Jesus Christ, God has entered humanity Eternity has invaded time, and things can never be the same again. That's a great quote, isn't it? In Jesus Christ, God has entered humanity. Eternity has invaded time, and things will never be the same again. And they're not the same again simply because of what Jesus has done and because of who he is. He sustains, he purifies, he's the beginning, he's the end, the very radiance, the character of God. Well, it's all lovely, and that's encouraging, and it's good to know. But how do I know? Just because this bloke, whoever it was, wrote these verses in Hebrews, is there any backup? Just because he wrote it doesn't make it true any more than writing Hannah who is God perhaps on a bridge does. Well, there's two things we can do. One is, of course, we can look more closely at Jesus. We can look at the Gospels. We can unpack the Gospels so we can see Jesus there. But in this passage, the other thing we're invited to do uh, is to look back. In the past is how the passage starts, doesn't it? In the past, God spoke. You see, God has actually spent the whole span of man's existence talking to him, talking to us, telling him, telling us about him, and pointing us ahead to Jesus. So we can look at Jesus, but we can listen to God. 
And there's a lot of stuff written about listening to God and how you've got to go into a quiet room and light a candle and breathe in for 20 seconds and hold your breath and, you know, all that sort of stuff. I think it sounds terribly complicated, but actually it isn't. Listening to God is dead easy. First one tells us, God has spoken through the prophets many times and in many ways. So if I want to hear God, if I want to learn more about Jesus, I just need to open up my Bible and I can read there what people were saying hundreds of years before Jesus. And if I do do that, then I'm going to begin to see God's character revealed. Not revealed in one person, as it will be when the Lord Jesus comes, but in lots of different ways, uh, at different times, uh, and in different people. And each one's going to throw a sort of spotlight on one aspect of God's character. So I don't know whether you watch uh, Match of the Day uh, and look at some of the match analysis there, but as they're talking, what they'll do is they'll spotlight, won't they, one player. And they say, look, we look at this player, and that tells us a bit about how the rest of the team is working. But we're not focused on the team, we're just focused on that one character in the team. And we can analyse the play. It doesn't work with cricket, because nobody ever moves, but with football, you know, you can do this sort of stuff. So, that's the idea that we're having with the Old Testament. We're having a focus on one aspect of God's character. The whole team is there, the whole of God is at work, but we're just seeing one little bit of it. And to think how that works out over time and in places, just have a quick gander through the Old Testament. Imagine, I had to write all these down, Moses, 1400 BC, a long time ago. God leads the people to liberty. It's a message of freedom. 400 years later, uh, we have Nathan in a deeply personal conversation with King David showing him the need for personal repentance and talking about God's justice. I don't know, 300 years later, Hosea marries a sex worker and has to show how God keeps forgiving and keeps forgiving and keeps forgiving. 150 years after that, Daniel, visions of God's sovereignty and his powerfulness. And then the end of the Old Testament, Malachi 450 B.C., tells us that God isn't interested in empty religion. God wants a personal relationship, a relationship of love. So can you see how God keeps coming back in different ways through different people, showing us what he's like? Each one shows me a bit more about God, shows me a little bit more of what I will see in the Lord Jesus, where I see forgiveness and justice and power and perfect freedom demonstrated so we need the old testament the old testament tells us about jesus and helps us to understand him god has spoken and by the way just as a sort of aside that is not to say that god is not still speaking just because verse one says in the past That doesn't mean to think, well, God stopped speaking and it's all sealed off uh, in in, in the Bible. I mean, there were other prophets. We're going to come up to the carol services and we're going to remember Anna in the temple uh, prophesying to everybody that Jesus was coming to save. 
There are still prophets. New Testament talks how Christian living should be supernatural. We should experience prophecies and words and knowledge, dreams and visions. Joel says that one day every believer should experience prophecy, dream dreams and see visions. The Christian life is one where God speaks to us. He speaks to us in his word, but he's also speaking to us in all sorts of other ways, which we need to be alert to. And of course, we've already seen he speaks to us through creation, doesn't he? He speaks through even amazing things like the sunsets. We need to be alert to God's voice in our day-to-day lives. We need to be sheep who are ready to hear uh, the shepherd's call. We don't have to book a Zoom call to speak to God. He will speak to us anytime, anywhere. And he always has done. So we need to listen to the Lord Jesus. And we need to listen to him in our word, in our lives. But we need to remember too that our lives and our eternal futures don't rely on visions and prophecies. That's all part of God speaking to us. But ultimately, our futures depend on Jesus, on who he is and what he has done, because Jesus is God. Advent, you know, Advent's the time when we look forward to that truth, isn't it? When we reflect on that truth, when we remember that moment when God enters humanity. And I guess we, we enjoy the festivities. Perhaps we look back on past times when we've enjoyed those festivities. Uh, perhaps we, 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 we resent some of the stuff going on at the moment around masks and restrictions. Uh, however we feel this Advent time, this Christmas time, more than anything else, we look to Jesus, the Son who made the universe, who sustains us and made us fit for heaven. So this Christmas time, let's come and let's adore him.